Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a CatSource production. In this episode, I chat with Cullen Jones, U.S. Olympian, world record holder, and Olympic gold medalist. Sportsypreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Cullen is the first African-American swimmer to hold the world record. The bottom line is Cullen is and always has been a man on a mission. Currently for the Novant Health Foundation team and as an ambassador for the Make a Splash initiative, Make a Splash is a national child-focused water safety campaign, which aims to provide the opportunity for every child in America to learn how to swim. He is also the founder of Sprint 41 and a motivational speaker. This is part one of my chat with Cullen, where we sit face-to-face in our sports epreneur office. In this episode, we discuss the coronavirus, its impact on the Olympics, Cullen's story, and his mission. In the middle of our chat, I ran into a technical glitch, but thanks to Cullen's kindness, understanding, and the fact we weren't going to let a little obstacle get in our way, he joined me for a part two, which added even more than I could ever have imagined. After you listen to this episode, be sure to check out our part two of the conversation, where we discuss the Olympian mindset, training, and stories from the pool. And now we welcome U.S. Olympian Cullen Jones. It's wild because like you said, you know, you could talk about the game. So the game that happened yesterday, but what happens is you talk about the, the game's over and then it ends and no one really cares about it anymore. That's what we hope that happens here, right? With this coronavirus. Yeah. You know, you've got so many people that say like, you know, what are we doing? I mean, there were people fighting yesterday for toilet paper. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was watching Daily Show and it, it's hilarious because it's like, listen, like the shower is right there and you don't need toilet paper. Why are we right. fighting over toilet paper? But I think it's infecting more people. But if you look at the death toll, it's lower than Ebola. It's lower than so many of these other diseases that have like really made a huge impact. But it's something to be cautious about. I've got an eight month at home. So I'm I'm washing and sanitizing nonstop. But yeah. You know, I'm trying not to let it like and we're coming completely off of flu take season. Over. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. Like, what else is coming? So I wake up this morning and I find out that in Union County, there's E. coli in the water. I saw that, which is nuts. And you have to like, so blow I water went. Down. So I dropped my girls off at school. They go to school and in, in closer into the city. And I was like, well, I need to, I don't, what do I do? So I just pulled over. I wanted to get a coffee at a Starbucks. I went to the Harris Teeter. I was like, well, I'm here. I'll grab some bottled waters. I didn't think much of it couldn't get down the lane where the bottle of water was. It was clogged. So I go around it and I go to the back end and there's this, these stands of water. So you just take it, but no one saw that. They're all going. Oh, they're they're all, all go to one so I was like thinking yeah. like the toilet paper, why do you think that is? Like why there is no like, go get toilet paper. There's no memo to say, right. go do it. But it's like, is it a, a thing where like, well, a few people started doing it and then people get in line. The it's sheet mentality. That. It's it's follow the leader a hundred percent. And so like, and I who's went, the leader, right? That's the question <laughs> <laughs> I went today and I was like, oh, we, we actually, in my house, we need 
we needed toilet paper. So I walked in and there was zero. So I was like, all right, there's a CVS that's like kind of in the cut that no one really knows about. I walked in there, grabbed like three yeah. and then left, left. I yeah. mean, because everyone's going to your big name places yeah. and and going nuts over toilet paper. It, it's crazy. It's wild how, how things come to be. And, and here we are, right? So as we're recording this, the NBA just put a pause on it, suspended their season. The NHL is considering it. So these things will all play out by the time we put this thing out there and things are going to change from that. And sure enough, here we got a former Olympian in the house and <laughs> yes, we're looking at the the Olympics this summer. I mean, right around the corner and there's decisions that are going to have to be made. They have time. Yes. So we talked about it before. They got until probably around the end of May to start making some calls. But you know, you look at the Olympics, it's every four years and there's training regiments that are in place to say to for a specific day, right? Like you have to be ready on this on down that day. day. So what is it like? What do you think it's like right now? And you're in touch with former, with current Olympians. Well, well I had to stop yeah. you there really yeah. quick because you never stop being an Olympian. That's right. That's right. Former Olympian. Yeah, I no, 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 no. You never stop <laughs> You know, you're like, right about that. So I am an Olympian. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I talk to all my buddies and, and all my friends and it's one of those things where their coaches are telling them just, just power through, just keep training. Yeah. But it, it's so hard, I'm sure, to focus on trying to be ready for that day, especially like for us in swimming, many of the events, you have to be top two. And it's on that day, at that moment, you need to be ready. And so my best friend, I I called Lochte up and I'm like, man, I know you've been killing yourself. You're 35 and they're talking about postponing. And he was just sitting there. He's like, I don't know, man. He's like, I I can't think about it. I'm so stressed out. I'm like, listen, just focus, be ready, do what you got to do, swing with the punches, man. But he's like, if it's another four years, he's like, I can't do another four years. But yeah, but May, I mean, I think, so what I've heard is the IOC is going to make a decision. The Olympic Committee, International Olympic Committee is going to make a decision in May. So we'll see. But I mean, so many people have been saying that the virus hates heat and 90 degree weather in Japan, I think it might be okay. We'll see. (laughs) Right. It's got to be a mindset because you're thinking through it. And so you talk about Ryan Lockie, you could get into this mindset of overthinking about things that are completely outside of your control. 100%. Is, I mean, is that what they're going through? Is it, I mean, you, ha- you must have a certain kind of mind to be an Olympian, not a former Olympian. But, <laughs> and I'm so glad you corrected me. I'm thinking like, well, if you won the NBA championship, you're not a former champion. You are you're a champion. champion. Yeah. So, but it's got to be so much about mindset. It's 100%. When we talk about, I mean, that's why... So many people, companies, they always talk about they want to bring athletes in to speak. It's it's the mindset of an athlete. Yeah. It's no different from anyone else. It's just you have to go and roll with the punches. And it, it's no different. If you think about the past, Brazil, 2016, what was it then? Zika. Oh, Zika, Zika, Zika. In 2012, it was London. Oh, my God, there's going to be so much traffic. No one's going to get there on time. It's going to be hard. Beijing, it was all the pollution, the air. It's always something to focus on. It's just now we're in a global pandemic. It's something that is actually killing people left and right. And the cases just keep on coming. So of course they have to think about the safety of the people viewing the the games. And I think they're going to take that into consideration. I I just, with with everything that we're hearing, it's an aggressive flu. It's a very aggressive, 15 times what the flu is. So you don't hear about people having the flu in the summertime. And which is when the Olympics is going to be. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think the athletes are going to have to stay strong mentally and focus on either way. You can't let up on training because if they say yes, those are days that you're missing. So 
I had this whole talk with Ryan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, and you just you repeat it. I mean, you, and you probably got to keep telling yourself that. Yeah. But the problem is, you know, I grab my phone real quick and you just pull it up and you can't avoid it. And there's a lot of downtime. If you watch an athlete, there's a lot of downtime. They, they talk about it. no matter what sport you play, a lot of times you're just sitting there, maybe you're in the training room, maybe you're working out, maybe you're just taking a rest or lying in bed and watching Netflix and you pull out your phone and it's going to enter your mind. And so it's, it's pings left and right. Yeah. yeah. You can't, and you got to control your feed. But this one, I don't even know if you can control your feed on this. This is, this is showing, you know, the NBA. So if you just watch basketball all the time, it's, you turn on ESPN, right? And it's going to show up in there. We've talked to just any type of athlete. We've talked to a lot of soccer, football players, and they talk about the goalie position and there's such a mindset there and they've seen better goalies than them not make it because they didn't have the mental side of things down. You know, growing up in a sport where I didn't have many people to look up to that looked like me was a, was a big thing for me. And my dad, basketball player, wanted me to play basketball. I remember sitting there watching Jordan play and he was always like, that's an athlete. That's an athlete. You know, he puts his team on his back when, when the team needs him. And so I grew up a Jordan fan from the beginning. And then um, as a Knicks fan, maybe not so much because he always put up like 55 oh, points again. You're a Knicks fan <laughs> and yes. a Jordan fan. Yeah. Still a Knicks fan. Look, I look, I am committed. This I am guy, a Knicks he's fan. He's in your John Priori yeah. right now, man. He's a yeah. Knicks fan. <laughs> we stink. But <laughs> stay committed. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump jump ship. But I pay attention to my, my Hornets here. I've been in Charlotte for so long, but, you know, we're not doing one too well here. <laughs> so, but he always, he was like, Jordan, that's the guy. And I just remember that game when he had 102 fever and like Gatorade put up the, the whole thing for him. And so that was what, what an athlete was. And so I looked to him and there were many times where I was sick. And I remember being the anchor on a relay and my dad was like, this is your Jordan moment. And I was like, okay. And I would swim. I would swim so fast just because it was that moment where I was like, this is my Jordan moment. But I never had someone like a swimmer to look up to. I looked up to Gary Hall Jr. just because he swam my event. But when I became an Olympian, it was my goal to have other kids that looked like me be able to look at me. And he said something about the focus. My focus was laser sharp going into 2008. And then going into 2011, I had just an awful year because my focus wasn't right. I was, like you said, social. I was a social guy. I was hanging out. You know, my life had changed in 2008. I was able to do things like travel and go and have fun and have that life that I wasn't, didn't have before 2008. So I went through a lull of just like, I went to, I went to China swam and i remember one of the coaches being like you know this really sucks and i was like what he's like one of the fastest 100 freestylers in the world can't get his stuff together to represent team usa and is sitting on the sideline ouch yeah <laughs> you know but it was hard truth it was right? a hard truth and my mom was just like what was that and she's like you're not going to disrespect the jones family if you're you need to either quit you got a gold medal and a world record quit or get it together and so that focus that focus was it was I, I had to feel what it felt like not to. And then after that, it was full steam ahead. There's some things you said in there. One of them is it almost wasn't about you when you were really dialed in because you're thinking about other people at that time, which clearly you're doing today. So it allows you to get outside of your own head 
to say, this isn't just about me. Obviously, you want to win for yourself and what all those different things, but there's more to it. And you're able to put in the work. I remember the line, what Muhammad Ali said, people ask him, like, why do you run so much? You must love running. He's like, I hate running, but I like the idea of being champion of the world. And you're just like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you hear that, you're like, it's that simple. You know, just the, the confidence. Cause I, everyone's like, you, you never talk about swimming. You're so humble. You never do that. And, and it's like his confidence was just unmatched and to go through what he was going through at that time where many people were hating him because he wasn't going into the war and doing what most people thought was the right thing for him to do. Yeah. Man, so much respect for Muhammad Ali. We're watching the Ali movie right now. My daughter's read his book, Mm -hmm. you know, like who was Muhammad Ali? She's, she was eight, nine years old now. And I told her that Colin Jones is coming to our office today. And I explained that she wasn't yeah. around yeah, when yeah. you were when you were swimming not that long ago, right? But thanks for that part. He's an Olympian. <laughs> He's an Olympian. Yeah. But so I said, what question would you ask him? She's like, how long would he have to train for the Olympics? How long would he have to train for the Olympics? I mean, I'm like, you know, that's that the question. Is an amazing question. <laughs> My coach would love to answer <laughs> That's a deep question. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So our training season, we don't really get off. There's no really off season. We'll take like a week or two off with, depending upon what our coach and the coach and the swimmer have to come to an agreement. But for an Olympic year, we would usually start in September and then we would train all the way through until the following August. My coach would say I wouldn't dial in <laughs> focus until probably March. He said I had a boxing mentality between March and our big meet in June. That window of time, he said there was no stopping you. He's like, if I asked you to run through a wall, you would probably do it. For me, it was it was too much to, to be training, especially when I got older. It was hard to be as consistent as younger swimmers. But when I got into that window, I would say that three, four month window, you couldn't tell me anything. I yeah. was gonna. I would run through a wall. Yeah. So you're doing here and there, but this is the real training. Yeah, like I'd be at practice, but I wouldn't be pushing as hard, yeah. keeping myself fit, and from time to time do things that were somewhat remarkable and, and fast. But it was the consistency of just pushing myself through through my limit it was definitely March to June. Yeah. All right. I want to go way back now, because this is when you started. And this is, again, your Players Tripping article. And this story's been told, and you obviously know where I'm going. So you're at the amusement park, and you're not a swimmer. You really know <laughs> how to not. swim. And nope. your mom and dad are there. And you go down some water slot, I believe, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and then a mm-hmm. tube, and there's a certain way the tube's supposed to go, and certain things are supposed to happen. And right. a lot of people are there. A lot of things are going on. And I think you wanted to go down the slide, or you wanted to challenge yourself a little bit. Well, my dad was doing it. So that's the guy I was focused. I wanted to be him. And so he wanted to get on the biggest ride there and I wanted to follow suit. That was it. No questions asked. I'm going, I'm doing it too. So we went down the ride and I was tall for a five-year-old, but very thin. So when I came down the ride and hit the pool of water, I was supposed to like skip across to the shallow end. Well, I hit and flipped upside down immediately. And um, my dad told me not to let go of the inner tube. So I'm holding on to an inner tube underwater and I had to be pulled out, resuscitated. And uh, I remember my dad and the lifeguard over me and being like, Colin, 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 are you all right? And the first thing, if you know anything about me, I, I am a jokester off everything. And the first thing out of my mouth was, what's the next ride we're getting on? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, almost drowned. And, and the first thing out of my mouth was, you're not getting me out of this water park. I'm going to go have fun. Let's go to the next ride. But my mom was like, your yeah, mom's not letting never that happen again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How does one go to an event like that or have an event like that 
and respond the way that you did to say, I mean, was it your mom? I think your mom had said something all the Yeah, time. Eric, my mom was like, you're, you're going to learn how to swim because she, she herself didn't know how to swim. My dad knew how to swim a little bit. And so they were focused on me getting to learn how to swim, but I was actually pretty terrified after that. I would imagine so. I love yeah. the water. Yeah. <laughs> I love the water, but it was like I didn't want it to come up to like my navel. I just wanted to sit in it and splash in it, but I was not as fearless as I was before. It took five different teachers, five different coaches until I started to feel comfortable in the water again. And then at that point, I saw my first swim meet and I was like, ooh, I could beat that kid. I could beat that kid. And I got really competitive. So I wasn't good at first. I got pink and purple ribbons, six and seven yeah, place, yeah, yeah. but you know what? I loved it. So yeah. it took some time though. But how do you keep showing up? Is someone driving you to the pool so you uh, have to go home? Yeah, my mom. My mom was like, yeah, you're, you're going to learn. So it took you that many coaches to learn how to swim? Okay. To get comfortable and so learn. So once you learn, then you're getting to that next step of, I actually enjoy being in the pool. Right. And I think it's also, there's so many things that in my life, if one thing was different, I don't know that I would be where I'm sitting right now with you talking right now on this podcast. If I wasn't an only child, I don't think I would have been an Olympian. If I didn't have as much dialogue with my parents where they literally were like, yeah, you're going to go. We're getting you to that pool. You're going to learn how to swim. And having them back me as much as they did, I don't know that this story would have happened the same way. She, she was just like, she never learned. She's making sure I'm learning. Yeah. Have you heard the book by Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way? So this is a book that's a, it's a great book, but it's, they hit these challenges. Mm -hmm. You know, someone has a speech impediment and they become right. a famous speaker. Yeah. Someone goes down that. a water slide and, and maybe should have drowned and they become an Olympian and they become someone who's out there helping other people overcome this because I was reading the stat and it blew me away. And I knew drowning is obviously a big deal it is the second leading cause of death. At least at the time of one of your articles under for, the age of 14, still, still. Yeah. And you, and, and also it says, and a lot of it is minority children that are dealing with this African-Americans, yes. Latino, what are we going to do? Like, how, and that's why you're here, right? So right. you get to help with that story. You have this challenge. Yeah. And you now, of course, want to give back and you've been giving back. You've been doing this ever since your Olympic days. Since I got the soapbox to stand on and <laughs> got that gold medal, they, people have to listen to you then. So I started working with Make a Splash. It's an initiative by USA Swimming Foundation and Phillips 66. And at the time, 70% of African-Americans didn't know how to swim. 60% of Latin Americans didn't know how to swim and 40% of Caucasians didn't know how to swim. So like when you think about that, that's of large population of the U.S. It's not just minorities. It's just children in general just are not learning how to swim. In Australia, where swimming is one of their national sports, to not know how to swim there is to like not know how to drive here. So to give a perspective. So I started working with them. We travel. I, I talked to you know, first responders. Every place that I went, well, there was a drowning. And I would talk to the families and if they came out and it wasn't too close to the incident. And I remember in 2009, it was my fourth tour stop working with Make a Splash. And we were supposed to go to Houston and we had to change it because of what happened in Shreveport, Louisiana, where there were seven children that drowned one after the other, trying to save the other child. And I remember us changing and going there. And there was one family that was actually part of the family that was affected by this. And the entire group of kids, I taught six kids 
And I was like, come on, come to the water. And they were all scooting back away from the water because they were just terrified. I sat on the edge and talked to them for a solid 15 minutes. And after talking to them, I got them in the water. And in 15 minutes, these kids were going underwater laughing and smiling. It's about changing the perception. These kids had never been around water and had never had an actual swim lesson. And so for all of these drownings that we're seeing, the answer is swim lessons. And that's what has been my pillar of my career is just getting kids to learn swim lessons, get swim lessons. Yeah. It's, it's a frightening thing. I remember going to some summer camps and I love swimming to a point, but then to get swim lessons and to get in the pool, it's the thing sometimes you just, that's the fear. That's the thing you don't look forward to. You're going to have to push yourself. You're going to have to do these things. The water's cold, like whatever mm-hmm. that might be. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they're not nice. The teachers aren't, you know, it's like, yeah. there's just, it's a, I can imagine if you've never, <laughs> if you've never done it right. and you've never had an opportunity to learn and the older you get and you still haven't done it, it's like, just put that away. I'm never going to swim. And that's what I'm fighting. There's so many different factors. So the University of Memphis and uh, UNLV did a study for USA Swimming and they found, especially in minority groups, there's three major factors. Number one being fear. Kids are afraid. Parents are afraid. Number two is parental backing. Parents just aren't getting their kids to learn how to swim and then transplanting their own fears onto their children. You know, they've had a bad experience. So they're like, oh no, stay away from the water. It's hot. Stay away. It's the same kind of mentality. And then third is physical appearance, ladies with their hair, guys wearing small suits. Right. And, you know, I mean, and they're, all of these factors are overarching factors, but you're right. You know, going into this place that we're not built for, we're not built to be in the water. That's the point of swim lessons, to learn how to respect the water and to have fun. Every single place, Eric, that I go and I say, hey, how many of you guys like to get in the water? There's not one hand that's not up when it comes to kids. Once it gets hot, Hands up. Want to go to the pool? Want to go to the pool? Problem is, parents are allowing their children to go to the pool and expect lifeguards to be able to watch them. Now, if there's 500 kids in the pool, how are you expecting a lifeguard to watch each and every child? You wouldn't allow your child to get in a car without a safety belt or play football without pads. Don't allow your child to go to a pool without swim lessons. They might fight. I fought. But then now I'm an Olympian. So you just never know what can happen. So I tell that story to parents all the time, and we've reached over 8.4 million kids now with the Make a Splash initiative. And so those kids now are safer around the water. And we've seen the numbers drop now. So now it's 64% of African-Americans, 56% of Latin Americans, and 36% of Caucasians. I never would have thought in my lifetime I would have seen these numbers move. But with the popularity of the sport, with more and more people understanding and all the traveling and doing the media and getting people to understand how important it is, seeing the numbers drop. So, well, that's why we need the Olympics to happen. I mean, because it gets in front and center, right? Yeah, you're I not mean, lying you see about it in all different sports. But I mean, just going back to my daughter, when she was learning how to swim, there was times when she liked being in the water. She like, but you have to learn how to swim. You have to, in certain situations, some kids going to jump and they land on you. Oh, how yes. do you, you know, there's right. just the lifeguard, maybe they're not having a good day. Yeah. They're not paying attention, right. right? And you watch some of these, like, they're not there. They have a job. Right. They're flirting with their, you know, yeah, all this kind yeah, of stuff. You know? But <laughs> you see the switch go when they get it and they enjoy it. It's oh. like, I want to go to the pool and I want to swim. I don't want to practice my stroke. I want, And you don't have to be an Olympian for that. You just have to learn how to swim and for you to have like, you have the fear. You had the ultimate reason to have the fear to say, we're never doing that again. And it's an amazing thing to hear like what your parents did to say, we're going to keep taking you to the pool. 
And obviously it's, and you continue to push yourself. Screaming. Yeah. Kicking and screaming. And they were just like, you're, no, nope. The last line in one of the articles said, Colin is a man on a mission. And you sit in here today and we have these conversations and whether it was when you were in the Olympics or learning how to swim. And obviously a lot of it has to do with your parents and your upbringing and just the mission that you're on today to help kids swims and know about health and public speaker and motivation. I mean, you, you nod your head because you're like, I am. I am. I, I mean, I just, I'm even more invigorated now that I have an eight month old at home yeah. who likes the water. <laughs> God, yeah. I wanted him to play soccer. <laughs> anything else i you know i'm gonna be sitting there with a highlighter watching wow, him man. swim and having more heart failure than my parents did now having my son and knowing how much he loves the water i'm even more on a mission to try to spread how important it is to learn how to swim i got him in the water already at six months he's eight months now he's been in the water about four or five times and he loves it but i gotta keep an eye on him because he's got to learn the proper way to learn how to swim and he may one day be kicking and screaming, but he's going to learn. And if he's not a swimmer, great. Because yeah. I do <laughs> yeah. not want that shadow over you. Pick your sport. Dad's do your thing. Sideline, just like yeah, <laughs> you know. And I won't coach him. I refuse. I can't do it. I can't do it. But I'm going to be watching that coach that is. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but no, I, it's, uh, I'm a man on a mission. I, I want all families to, to understand the importance. They don't have to be swimmers. The problem is they most likely will become swimmers because they'll start loving it. Yeah. But... It's important to save lives because there's no other sport that's not knowing how to do it is not going to kill you. Not knowing how to swim can actually kill you. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's not in the pool. I mean, it's coming up. We're going, we're not far from the coast. You go to the beach. I mean, it's the water. I mean, things happen. You swallow water and it's, there's rocks. There's just different things that you don't know what's going to happen. And that's why, you know, absolutely. And I mean, and as you say that when it comes to the ocean, even as an Olympian, I can be pulled under as a, in an undertow. There, that's a whole nother level of learning how to respect the ocean. But it's just an important life skill. And I think people don't recognize that. They think it's just, a, yeah, it's a great sport, but it's also a life skill. Yeah. Did you play a lot of other sports? This is something you touched on because you're talking about your son and being a swimmer and youth sports is a big thing. We're like, well, he's going to be a swimmer. He's going to be a soccer player. He's going to play basketball. And we start specializing. The, the kids start specializing very young ages. And I would imagine, you know, the, the Olympians that you've worked with and trained with before, they played other sports. Yeah. I could only like, is no, that right? absolutely. <laughs> Maybe with the exception of Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he, he was swam. built for the pool. He, yeah. he was built for the pool. I think he did do a couple of other things, but yeah. swim, swimming just took over. And yeah. there's just a point where even for me, swimming took over. I played basketball. Sure. I was in gymnastics. And the beauty of the gymnastics piece, because I wasn't tall at that time, but I learned the mechanics of my body and awareness of my body and how my body moved so that when I got into the pool, learning to do flip turns was easy for me and learning these types of things was easy because I understood the mechanics of my body. And I think that's what sport literally teaches you. It doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're running, whether you're swimming or doing gymnastics or whatever it is, it teaches you your body in a different way. So yeah, I did, I did a lot of other things. And my dad, and this is not a pop, I'm going to say something that's not very popular. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm going to yeah. say it. <laughs> yeah. My dad was super competitive as, as a basketball player. He wanted to, to be drafted by the Knicks and he actually was getting drafted, but never actually made it through. He was competitive. We played hot hands all the time, yeah, slap yeah. hands yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> make me lose and it, and it just built me up. But when it comes to the business world, when it comes to the sports world, it's always about trying to be better stepping into that next thing. And so 
I think that that's so important. Now I understand the competition medal where, Hey, everyone gets one. Everyone gets one. I get it. Participation trophy. I get it. But I think that it's so important that we teach our children that if we want to get better, we have to work at it. And if everybody thinks that they're going to get something, it really kills that mantra that the harder I work, I am now given something because of the hard work that I've done. When you look at sport, LeBron is LeBron because LeBron worked hard. Kobe's Kobe because Kobe worked hard. You know, Michael Phelps, same way. Steve Jobs, same way. It works. And as our young people start to move into these positions of being the best of something, the only way that they're going to do that is to understand that it's important at the foundational level that it takes work. You're not entitled to anything. You're not entitled to anything. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You're just I mean, not. And there's a realization in that and talking to someone like yourself, who's a, a leader and has overcome a lot to get where you are. And you're, you'd said it before, a learner and a thinker. Like I see it, like you're even thinking through things as we're talking through it today. You had a lot of, you know, your thoughts, you've talked about this stuff often. I know that, but you're still thinking through it. And I'm saying things here that I haven't said in other things. Yeah. I'm, I'm always, there's yeah, always this yeah, stuff there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're thinking through it and, and a reader, right. And you would, before we started talking, like, yeah, you read a lot and you want more, you want to continue to evolve, to continue to do more. hundred percent. I mean, I, I just think that that's some, that's a huge thing. I want my son to pick up a buddy of mine. And I never heard this before, but he said, leaders are readers. And it kind of blew my mind. Cause I was like, you know, do I love to read? Not always, but I love what I get from it. And there's so many leadership books out there. And, and so my favorite right now, I finished it like a couple of months ago was Extreme Ownership with Jocko Whalen and Leif Babin. And I mean, it's insane. And, and you told me they have a podcast, which I'm going to like pick up as soon as I get in my yes, car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just catch so many things that parallel my life. And as a person, and I give everyone credit when I'm on stage and get to talk and, and, and get to do my motivational speaking, but I just pick up gems everywhere because I'm reading all the time. And, but that wanting to be better, wanting to evolve into the next step is something I learned through sport. I learned through swimming. I learned it through school, but I learned it more through sport. And I, that's what I want that for my child. I don't care what you do, but I want you to play something. I want you to do something. I don't want you just sitting at home. So that's important to me. I heard a line and it was, read what you love until you learn to love to read. And it's like, if you like reading recaps of the game last night, just read that and yeah. keep reading it or sports stories or whatever, science fiction, science fiction is a high level of reading, I understand. But like, and then all of a sudden, then you'll start challenging yourself more and you start, start reading new books. And it's amazing when you go on that journey, because I didn't read a lot. I mean, I read, right. but I read what I enjoyed reading. And then you read some more and you start challenging yourself and you start picking up books and then you're fascinated by it. You're like, my 13 year old self would be like, what are you doing? Yeah, man? Exactly. <laughs> I hated to read as a kid and I'm an English major, yeah, which right. blows it out of yeah. I was like, oh, I that's hated right. it. And you know, my gateway was, was actually audiobooks. Yes. You know, I'd be driving and I'm like, oh, well, yeah, let me, you know, I love listening to music, but let me do something with my brain. Right. And so I started listening to audiobooks and then it moved me into, well, I, I didn't remember that. Let me get the book. And so I, I will literally buy the audio and the book yeah. so that I can, you know, tag team that so I can understand or go back and check it out. And it blew my reading up.
Big time. So we talked a little bit about it earlier. I want to finish with this, but Sprint 41, it's your company. And I know we had a little tough technical difficulties earlier just to make sure Sprint 41, Novant, motivational speaker. Give me a little bit just on that, on Sprint 41 and all the different things that you're doing. So I started Sprint 41 in 2010 just because... I was traveling so much with Make a Splash. I was doing the public speaking and I was going to events and just living the life of an Olympian, celebrity, whatever you want to call it. But being in those spaces where people were CEOs of companies and all these things, and I was hearing just all these tidbits and they were like, so what's your company? And I'm like, I'm an athlete. And they're like, Oh God, come here, come here, kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and then they were like, took me under their way and they're like, you got to start a company. Like, what do you do? What are you good at? And I'm like, I'm good at speaking. And they're like, well, there's your company. Yeah. You do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I started Sprint 41. It was under kind of Cullen Jones, the, the, the athlete, because that was my focus was being the athlete. And so it's, it's interesting to see how things have shifted now that I'm putting Sprint 41 first because I'm not in the water anymore, but I am in the capacity of coaching and teaching. So Sprint 41 is my work as a coach, giving lessons. It is me giving, the bigger piece is giving motivational speeches. And um, it ties into what I do for for Novant as well, obviously. It's kind of hard walking around. I have my USA ring. Yeah. I've got my Olympic ring and yeah. I've got the tattoo because we have to have the tattoo if yeah. you make the team. It's hard not to have that yeah. kind of come up when it comes to my, my job at Novant, but I love it. I love speaking about it. I get a lot of questions like, do you mind? Everyone's like, oh, call me Olympian. And I'm like, no, I work my butt off for that. <laughs> so no, it doesn't bother me. But Sprint 41, it, it encompasses all of that. And for the most part right now, I, I've been blessed to be able to give speeches for Boeing and Deloitte and McDonald's and Bank of America and recently Novant. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's been really cool to, to be back home. And I think the Novant one was the hit most because I was home. Everywhere else has been everywhere else. But be here was awesome. Yeah, I could see it, man. I mean, I see the, the leadership, the motivation. It's you're a dynamic guy. You got a lot of going on, like we talked about. Oh, We're busy. not trying to put this thing in a box, <laughs> but you're enjoying it. Smile on your yeah. face, and you know, obviously, passionate about the sport. It doesn't. It it's a part of you. It's a big part of you, and always will be. And and that and that's you can now collide that with the different things that you're doing, and use analogies or stories, examples of of how you got to these points, and it's Absolutely. important what you're doing. And we appreciate you spending time. What's the best way people can learn more? I mean, obviously, we can just Google your name oh, yeah. and come up Google. with the yeah. I'm working on my, like I said, I'm shifting Sprint 41 into the kind of the front instead of it was the ColinJones.com. And now it's, it's going to be shifting to Sprint 41. So keep up with me on Instagram, all social media platforms. I'm on TikTok. I'm listening. <laughs> When my son's old enough, I'll start dancing with him. Okay. That's it, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get there. People holding the kids in the lap and they'll yeah. do the dance. You know? I, listen, <laughs> I, I'm getting there. I'm yeah. getting there. And so I'm on all social medias, but the website's coming. The website's coming and, and that'll be the easiest way to get a hold of me. But yeah, I'm on all Instagram, all, all social medias. And that's how everyone's been getting. What's your favorite social media that you get to go on for yourself? Uh, I gotta say still Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram. I'm on Snap, but I, that's private. Yeah. I, yeah. That's only Just family chat. And yeah, stuff that, yeah. that, that I do that with. But yeah, it, it's still Instagram. That's good, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate you spending the time calling, man. It's me. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate it. Cool.
One of my favorite things about our Sports Epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CAD Source production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. <laughs> <laughs>